0: Well, hello, my name is Lauren and I'm a fourth year Sociology and Anthropology student at the University of California, Los Angeles. For the past fall 2019 quarter, I was enrolled in a class titled Sociology of Race and Ethnicity, Considering University. And throughout the 10 weeks of this class, my professor truly opened the eyes of over 250 students about what race and ethnicity has been and still is within our own school system. In this podcast, I will be talking about affirmative action within the University-California admissions process, but I first want to, pro- to provide some background about myself and an insight as to why I chose this topic. I'm a California native, quick shout out to the IE, as I was born and raised in Riverside and I've been attending UCLA since the beginning of my freshman year in fall 2016. I came in only as an anthropology major and initially had wanted to go into forensics, But then I happened to take a chemistry and calculus class during the same quarter and promptly decided to change my degree from a Bachelor of Science to a Bachelor of Arts. I'm still very happy with this decision, as is my GPA. And following my approaching graduation, my current career goal is to go into nonprofit and social work within the greater Los Angeles area. Within the study of anthropology, the main initiative is to look into the unique cultural aspects of different groups. There's a heavy foundation in historical and archaeological story making, and due to mass globalization, anthropology has gone from the pure interest of researching culture to finding ways of maintaining the ones that still remain. About halfway through my second year at UCLA, I decided to pursue my other degree in sociology because I found it was almost necessary to study both anthropology and sociology. With an understanding of distinct and unique cultural groups and their attributes from anthropology, adding in sociology allows for the comprehension of how these groups may and still interact and how they either dissolve into a larger cultural group through influence or possibly remain distinct but still within an interaction with other groups. Throughout these past four years, I found myself more and more intrigued by the concept of race, how it formed, its level of influence on society, and how it has remained all the way into 2019. Its horrible history and continued prevalence today is simply baffling and disturbing, in my opinion, and I truthfully do not understand how people can choose to avoid and or deny it. But of course, that's a conversation for another time. Now, today I'm going to be talking about affirmative action, specifically within the University of California education system. The topic of affirmative action is something that when I was growing up was not necessarily seen as too much of a horribly negative thing, but it really wasn't seen as the best thing either. And I think the main reason for this is because I'm a white middle-class individual who was born into a conservative family. I didn't really know much about it, but I understood affirmative action as something that assisted students of color within the college admissions process. I also understood that the idea of reverse racism was brought up in the prosecuting argument of affirmative action That's also another topic for another day, but I could kind of see how my white counterparts would see it as something that would have been negative towards my specific academic future. But let's get into it. Affirmative action, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, is the practice or policy of favoring individuals belonging to groups who are known to have been discriminated against previously, specifically in the context of the allocation of resources and employment, It was first introduced in the United States in 1961 by President John F. Kennedy and subsequently executed by President Lyndon B. Johnson as a mechanism of positive and effective academic growth for communities of color as the nation was in the peak of the civil rights movement. Public and private schools alike began to practice this effort within their admissions processes well into the 1990s, but then something changed in California. In 1997, the University of California Board of Regents made the effort to strip the UC admissions process of affirmative action. This proposal was supported by two resolutions, SP-1 and SP-2, as well as California Proposition 209. SP-1 sought to halt affirmative action within admissions processes, promoting that neither race nor ethnicity should hold ground in the consideration of an applicant. SP-2 was a similar policy That called for race and ethnicity not to factor into UC employment and contracting efforts. Proposition 209 was first introduced in 1995 as a policy that prohibits California public institutions from discriminating against individuals on the basis of race, sex, and ethnicity. And in 2000, this proposition was signed into the California Supreme Court as constitutional. The blanket reason as to why the UC board wanted to cease affirmative action was for the, quote, equal treatment in its admissions process, and thus race and ethnicity should not be a discerning factor for the acceptance or denial of a student into a university. But in this podcast, I'd like to discuss three factors that, in my research and opinion, have added to its initial and continued dismantlement, which are colorblind racism, model minority stereotyping, and white supremacy. Before we get into those three topics, however, let's look at the stats, specifically the undergraduate student population statistics concerning race and ethnicity of all the UC campuses combined. On the University of California website, there is an info center portion with all the information regarding student populations and the respective demographics from 1999 to 2018. In 1999, the 10 UC campuses had an undergraduate population total of 136,660 students. 94.2%, which is 128,779 students, were California residents, and 16%, or 22,545 students, were categorized as underrepresented minorities. In almost two decades, the undergraduate student population of all 10 UC campuses has nearly doubled, rising to 222,493 students enrolled in the fall of 2018. Now let's break it down by the provided racial categories. In 1999, the leading racial group was white at 37.8% of the total population with 51,603 students. Following close behind was the Asian-Pacific Islander group, with 47,403 students, or 34.7% of the total. The third largest group was Hispanic-Latinx, which comprised 12% of the total population, with 16,976 students, which is a huge decrease, 30,000 students to be exact, in the representation to that of whites and Asian-Pacific Islanders. The fourth highest group is labeled domestic unknown. And though the website itself does not provide a clear definition of what this group consisted of, my assumption is that it's students who have United States citizenship but did not find the offered racial categories to distinctly fit what they identify themselves as enough to select such a category. I would think that this group holds a plethora of multiracial students that did not feel comfortable in selecting only one racial category, which would therefore deny the other ethnicities they may possess. In 1999, the number of students who selected domestic unknown was 12,402, which constitutes 9.1% of the total population. The fifth highest represented group was African American students with 4,527, or 5% of the total. And the sixth group was composed of international students at 2,707 students, or 2% of the overall total. The last category provided is American Indian, with just over 1,000 students and only 0.8% of the total UC population. As you can see in 1999, just as affirmative action was revoked from the UC admissions processes, there are still great disparities between racial group representations. And as I list the 2018 student population numbers, I ask you to pay close attention to the increase and decrease of the percentages. As one would assume, with a near doubling of the total student population over the span of two decades, the actual number of students within most of the racial groups will increase in some way. But that does not mean that overall representation. Such as the percentages will increase as well. So now let's look at the totals for the fall 2018 enrollment. The leading racial group has changed from whites to Asian/Pacific Islanders, with 74,444 students making up 33.5 percent of the 10 UC campuses' undergraduate population. Hispanic slash Latinx students have jumped to second most represented with 54,269 students at 24.4% of the total. Somewhat shockingly, third in line is the white racial group with 48,444 students or 21.8% of total. The fourth highest represented group is comprised of international students with 13.1% of the overall total or 29,161 students. African American students make up 41. 4.1% of the total with 9,083 students, followed by the domestic unknown group with 5,956 students and 2.7 of total. Lastly, American Indian representation is still barely over 1,000 students, 1,136 to be exact, and owns a total of 0.5% of the overall undergraduate population now. I just threw a lot of numbers at you, but let's try to go through each category shift in representation from 1999 to 2018, starting with the three groups that increased the most. Hispanic slash Latinx, International, and Asian slash Pacific Islander. One of the more comparable increases of representation resides in the Hispanic slash Latinx group. Now making up 24.4% of the total student population, hispanic Latinx students have surpassed whites as the second highest represented group in the UC system. The Asian/Pacific Islander group holds the second highest who holds the highest number of student representation, nearly doubling in 20 years with 74,000 students in 2018, even though there was a 2% decrease in the overall comparison of the total population. The international student population also saw a huge increase by nearly tripling from under under 3,000 students to roughly 30,000 students, now holding 13.1% of the total population compared to 2% in 1999. While the overall number of white students only slightly decreased by about 2,000 people, the percentage of the overall population of whites significantly decreased to 21.8%. And I would find this to be due to overall higher enrollment rates, but nearly consistent enrollment rates specifically with white students. Just by looking at the numbers, the highest decrease was seen in the domestic unknown category, now only making up 2.7% of the total population. And the last two racial groups, African American and American Indian, are both represented significantly less than all other racial groups. African American student numbers only increased by about 5- 4,500 since 1999, bringing the percentage up to 4.1%. And American Indian representation actually saw a percentage decrease in, ov- decrease in overall representation, with only increase and increase about with only an increase of of about 100 students within 20 years. Now we'll go back to the three factors in the discrepancies of racial and ethnic representation in the UC system. Model minority stereotyping, colorblind racism, and white supremacy. The first I'll discuss is the model minority complex. Jennifer Lee and Min Zhao discuss in their research of Asian American exceptionalism in their article titled From Unassimilable to Exceptional The Rise of Asian Americans and Stereotype Promise. Lee and Zhao provide an insight into how the representation and attitude towards Americans towards Asian Americans shifted from undesirable immigrants to model minorities. Their research found that the Asian Americans have the, quote, highest educational outcomes, highest rates of intermarriage, and lowest rates of residential segregation, end quote. In the United States, arguably most well seen in the education system, contemporary Asian immigrants are highly selected, according to Li and Zhao, from their countries of origin, Under positive stereotypes that transform them into a form of symbolic capital. This can result in, quote, stereo promise, stereotype promise, the promise of being viewed through the lens of a positive stereotype, which in turn can enhance the performance of Asian American students. End quote. To bring this back to affirmative action, those against this process within the UC admission could easily pose the argument that minority groups are exceeding well without affirmative action. And to be honest, they wouldn't necessarily be wrong. To Two underrepresented groups did surpass whites in the total population percentage, with the leading group consisting of Asian Pacific Islanders. However, Lee and Zhao assert that Asian American exceptionalism, quote, reproduces inequality at the high end of the educational distribution, giving Asian American students a distinct advantage in the domain of education, end quote. Their advantage is due to the capital they accumulate for the American economy through the educational advancement and are therefore recruited for such. To add, the top 5 countries that enroll students in a UC university, a number that composes a third of the overall international student population, are nations within the greater Asian continent. In essence, yes, to compare the UC population with the overall United States population, a minority group is thriving. But if you think about it, United States institutions are recruiting individuals under an ideal of perfection and exceptionalism to later benefit the American economy kind of like a backhand compliment. Like, we only like you because you're this type of ethnic immigrant, and you can probably improve our economy since you're so highly educated. But that definitely places a lot of pressure on all individuals of Asian-slash-Pacific Islander descent, and what happens when these students cannot reach such stereotyped goals expected by their nation's leading institutions. Next, let's talk about colorblind racism. Defined by Eduardo Bonilla-Silva, Colorblind racism emerged in the 1970s and, quote, serves today as the ideological armor for a covert and institutional system in the post-civil rights era, end quote. Colorblind racism is essentially the argument that someone, typically a white someone, doesn't see the color or the race of the people they interact with, work with, date, etc., etc. While this philosophy may seem all fine and dandy in abstraction, Not seeing color of someone can become more problematic and harmful than anything. By denying race and all its attributes is to deny what has been and what continues to be in a socio-cultural context. The denial of race and its impact is a privilege, and such privilege can be viewed substantially within the education system. Within their article, Carol et al. compiles various studies that have concluded with substantial evidence that specifically Black students have a historical-based disadvantage within the education system. To start off, poor communities, typically set in inner-city regions and populated by mostly people of color, receive the least amount of funding for educational resources, as funding is based on property tax. Additionally, Black students within these low-income areas are more likely to be suspended, placed in remedial programs, and to be retained a grade due to lower mastery of material. Not only that, but in poor communities of color, college prep classes and our programs are nearly unheard of. And if the student were to be a first-generation college applicant, there is a substantial lack of resources for, for obtaining knowledge about the admissions process. In a historical generalization, white, middle, and upper-class communities have ingrained college prep into the daily lesson plan beginning in the student's first year of high school. Higher-income communities are able to use the resources that are lacking in low-income communities to promote academic success while essentially preparing for a student's first day of college for years. In this lack of proper and effective resource distribution, I find this to be the reason as to why African-American students still remain under 5% of the total UC student population, and will continue with my explanation of such within the third and last factor. I'm going to briefly discuss white supremacy, less in specifics to the UC admissions system, but more in respect to institutionalized oppression. As noted by Charles Mills, the the United States itself is a white settler state expropriated from its aboriginal inhabitants through a combination of military force, disease, and a century of dishonor of broken treaties. Part of what it means to be constructed as white, part of what it requires to achieve whiteness and successfully become a white person is a cognitive model that precludes self-transparency and genuine understanding of social realities, end quote. To be quite frank, the United States cannot support communities of color in any regard and especially not through public educational institution when the very foundation of this nation is based on white supremacy. People can talk all they want about how racism isn't as, as bad as it used to be and that every racial group now has more or less equal opportunities in academics, economics and so on. But honestly, they can just shut up because that will never be true. Jim Crow laws only ended 55 years ago, and that simply is not enough to undo centuries of racism, slavery, and genocide. Institutionalized racial oppression is so ingrained in this nation that the only way to remove it fully is to literally throw the whole nation away and start over. And even then, I'm not sure how that that would go. Nevertheless, the United States government and therefore public education systems on all levels do not have the ability to support the very people of color it viewed as less than a full person only 200 years ago and continues to perpetuate such racial oppression through various mechanisms such as the U.S. Census, the school-to-prison pipeline, and simply the reallocation of resources from impoverished areas into high-income areas. Now, where does all of this leave us? Should we reinstate affirmative action or should we wait to see if the underrepresented groups still slowly but surely increase? It's a hard question to answer, that's for sure, but I think it would be effective for people to take a step back to realize the reason as to why it was implemented in the first place. The United States, the land of the free, the home of the brave, it's really a place of denied rights that have marinated in systemic racism for centuries. I find education to be a right and not a privilege, and every person has the right to learn and to educate themselves on anything under the sun and beyond. But of course, with knowledge comes power. And in such a nation as ours, with a foundation of white supremacy and nationalism, the education of those within the oppressed groups would lead to the revolution against the oppressor. And that's how the powerful remain in power by withholding from those below them. And what better way to do it than through some of the greatest public educational institutions in the world? I hope this podcast has enlightened you on the ongoing racial disparities within the University of California institutions. I would like to thank my professor, Corita Brown, and all of the TAs for this past quarter. Thank you for providing a space for students of all backgrounds to feel safe, seen, and heard.